All right, well, today on the show, it's something completely different as I share with all of you my annual 911 call with my former on air partner, Hadas Kuznets. That's just me and her. And she sets me straight on a very important fact from that story that I have omitted. Over the years, plus we dish about veganism in Israel and Philadelphia and talk about the state of our country and the news that divides it. But first, let me tell you about NextWave. Yeah, NextWave Services is a website design company that provides high-quality website design and maintenance work for businesses at a flat rate. NextWave was born from the idea that everybody needs access to seamless, reliable, and professional website design and maintenance service on a consistent basis. NextWave believes that their excellent track record of repeat business Business is proof of their commitment to delivering first-class service all of the time. Get a free website consultation when you check them out online at nextwaveservices.com. Founded way back in 1998, it's Next Wave Services. It's time now for the Real Men Eat Plants podcast, your daily dive into sports, pop culture, beer, and food with a plant-based spin. I'm Dee, and along with news anchor Sarah Carlson, producer Eric Rogers, and the rest, here is a man who has never put ketchup on a hot dog, Rich Reynolds. All right, all right, guest time now, and I am so excited that I get to draw everybody in on this conversation. So everybody who's listening gets to hear me catch up with Hadas Kuznets, who I've talked about on the podcast already. Hadas is out in Philadelphia. Welcome on in, Hadas. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here, Rich. Thanks for having me on your show. I am so excited. So basically what people are getting to listen into is kind of our, it, it's not a hard annual call that we make. It used to be. Yeah, it used to be like every single year without fail on September 11th, we would call each other and say happy anniversary, whatever happy means on September 11th, kind of air quotes, happy anniversary. But we shared a moment on the air that I don't think people get to share as far as a moment in life all that often. And I think it's kind of, you know, bonded us together uh, for eternity that way, Hadass, right? Am I, sure. is, that, is that right? Absolutely. I mean, like everybody thinks about where they were on September 11th. When you're a broadcaster, you you never forget that day, like who you were broadcasting with, what you were talking about, what was going on. And so that was it, you know. And, you know, in the big scheme of things, we didn't really like as far as our broadcasting careers go, that was like a short stint of time, but very mm -hmm. significant. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of told the story and maybe um, this is right. I'm going to tell my side of it. And then I want to see if it jives with your side of it, because the, the thing that's weird about it and people think, OK, like in radio that, you know, we probably should have been in the same studio together and doing that kind of thing. But I'd like another show that I would do afterwards. And so I was in a studio in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. You were in a studio in no, 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 Watertown. We, we were in the same room. You don't what are remember. you talking about? We were not in the same room. <laughs> We were in the same room that day. No, we were not. So you were in Watertown. So we were actually, okay, because I, I I remember this this clear as a bell. I'm talking to you. We were doing our man on the street thing. Right. Well, we um, usually yes. do it. We usually do it um, like 
I yeah, there most of the time that we were broadcasting, I was in Watertown and you were in Beaver Dam. Dam, but this particular morning, uh, the night before, I had covered some uh, school board meeting and I came in and um, we th- we were in the studio together in on this particular day. I was in get Beaver Dam. out of here for yeah. real. Oh, yes. How do you not remember this? You're like mixing your memories together. Okay, so hold on a second because we, we talked about this before going on the air. I have had a couple of strokes, okay? So maybe this is where, you know, kind of the, the, the memory gets off. I thought for sure you were in Watertown. I was in Beaver Dam, and we were doing our Man on the Street segment, so we were, like, talking to each other. Plus, we had, like, a pre-recorded like, Man on the Street bit that we would do. So basically, we you would go have all out. that. We, yes. Okay. Yeah, and you would go out and you would like interview somebody in Watertown on the street, ask them questions, and then we would have, now is this right, we would have somebody call into the show and they would guess whether or not that person would get the question correct. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, and the game was called yes. Right or Wrong. Right or Wrong, okay. Right, and, and I, would ask them, I remember asking the questions like, you know, stup- like stupid stuff, like, how many sides does the Pentagon have in Washington? Right. Yeah. Like in um <laughs> I don't know, just, I don't know, how many states are there in the United States? Like, stupid stuff. Yeah, and it was amazing how many times people would get those stupid questions wrong. So first they would start out with, like, introduce yourself, and the person mm-hmm. would tell about a little bit about themselves. And then we'd mm-hmm. get into the questions, and then we'd kind of stop it before we got to the answer. Uh, the caller would say, okay, based on their description of who they are, I think they got the question right or wrong, and they would have to match, like, if you got if they got it wrong and the person said they got it wrong, they get a point. And there were like three questions. Yeah. Okay. So that, that part I remember. So we're in the middle of doing this now. Again, I I don't know how the hell this, this actually worked because maybe now I'm telling the story totally wrong after, you know, 21 years or whatever it's been now. So Rick, our program director comes into the studio and I think so the, the recording of like the question that you have with the guy is playing and he tells me, and I'm like running the board at the time. He tells me, Rich, switch to CNN right now. And the first time that he told me, I kind of shoot him off yeah, um, because I I'm was like, standing right I'm behind like, you. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, this is how it worked. Okay. So, so you were in that microphone that was like kind of on yes. my left. Yeah. Okay. Aha. All right. I'll so coming back to you now. All right. Okay. I get it. So I'm not even looking at you though, really at, at this point where we're doing this, unless sometimes I could kind of do like the side thing, yeah. right. With the microphone, but otherwise hey, the board's in front thing. of me and my back would have been to you. Don't you remember? I, I remember specifically we were joking around about like, cause we, we were joking around about like the TV people because we were radio and how mm-hmm. they did their promos. Don't you remember? I did that joke that like totally got you where oh, I, like, when they would, when I they would do the around. spin thing, like they yeah, always I, do. Yep. I spun around and give a big <laughs> smile like, Hey, and you were like, Oh my God, that's so crazy. Now, now that's I remember. Exactly okay. How they do it. That is how they do it. And, and now that I've spent some time in the television world, I mean, that is how you do a, a promo in TV, even to this day. <laughs> and so, <laughs> So, so then Rick comes in, he tells me to switch to CNN. I kind of shoo him off. I'm like, Rick, we're in the middle of something, you know, like, like scram, get out of here. You know, we, we could switch to CNN afterwards. And the reason why is I'm thinking, what the hell could it possibly be? You know, like what could be the breaking story that we would have to like stop what we're doing that it couldn't wait for a commercial, you know, like it, up until that point in time, 
like the only things I could think of that would really break in that would make you stop what you're doing the day Reagan got shot. And I remember that. And I was in school at, at the time I was, I was in grade school when, when Reagan got shot or like if Kennedy got shot, like it would have to be like a president being shot or something to that extent. That's making you think, okay, I'm going to stop what we're doing right now and go to a national broadcast. I don't know what you were thinking, but I remember thinking like I, you were running the board. So I was yes. just kind of doing my thing. But I remember thinking like, uh oh, like really? OK, something's going on. Uh oh. Yep. See, but you got like that news bug in you and I've got like this. OK, I want to be goofy and entertaining, you know, kind of a thing. And I'm like, OK, which is why it was a good mesh, you know, for yeah. us being on the air together. OK, so he comes in. I shoo him away. I think we continue with the with the man thing, uh, man on the street. I start talking again. And then when I stop and we go to the next question, Rick taps me again. He's like, really? He's like, go to CNN. And I remember being kind of pissed off. I'm like, fine, I'll go to CNN. And Wait, all it do you was, remember what you said on the air? No. You said, all right, we'll get back to you. We'll 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 come back to you. And I said, we're not coming back to him. Like, we're not. <laughs> it's not happening. Like, it's over. <laughs> he said, oh, stay on the line. We'll get back to you. Just hang on a second. And I remember okay. I said, uh-uh. Like no chance, don't even no chance. Don't even say that on the air. Yeah. And you, you didn't know what had happened yet. Right. I mean, this is before cell phones or anything else. If you were in the studio with me, no, but like, you know, you get a sense of, I don't know, maybe it's from listening to scanners as a news person or whatever. Like there's a certain buzz when something is okay. happening and a certain like energy. And I just remember like he's great. He's stepping in the middle and he's like two times now telling you like change the channel, <laughs> go on something else, cut out of this. And, and like, it's it's big like whatever it is is bigger than right or wrong like we're not coming back to it yeah and that that was exactly right and cnn i mean switching to cnn was really simple for me it's just hitting a button I, I just hit one button cnn's on and then you're all of a sudden like i remember just thinking like oh my god um but the first thought that i had was um a plane hit the world trade center and i'm thinking accident you know, like this was an accident. Somehow a plane flew into a building on accident. And I remember then going down the hall to a studio that had a television. And I'm sure you probably came with to watch it on TV too. Did you not? And no, I was doing the news and I was, I, I was, uh, I don't remember. I think I stayed in that studio and I was okay. listening and I was like kind of filling in like the, the spots and because um, all of a sudden there were there were people that, that that came to the studio. It was one of the few TVs that were in the entire place. I mean, we were a radio station. We had a, a like three radio stations or four radio stations going out of there. We dealt in radio. We didn't have a lot of TVs, but in this one studio where I did my other show, there was a television. And all of a sudden, you know, there's like six or eight employees that start milling around. They're watching it on yeah. TV, and you see like the smoke coming out of the building, and it's like okay, like wow, what the hell happened here? And I think everybody was kind of confuses what happened and it was that that point that all of a sudden you see the other plane just fly right into the other building and it's like oh my god and, and my initial thought as soon as i saw that was like we're under attack like it, my my thoughts instantly changed from accident to this is no accident anymore we're, we're under attack and i remember all i could do then at that point was just I, I wanted to call my wife my wife was at work she was working as a teacher i'm like i gotta call her now i gotta make sure she's okay like uh you know i i, I just gotta make sure like it, it was an instant 
thought in my head just to make sure that that my family was okay and i was like holy crap i mean this was this was a chilling moment so talking about not forgetting it but why in the heck did i not remember you in the studio with me oh, i feel horrible I about that now we, we, nice. we've never discussed this in like over 20 years i thought for sure you were on the other end in, in watertown not only was I in the studio, but we were talking behind the scenes. And I specifically mm. remember you were asking me about like uh, my time in the army because I was in the Israeli army. Mm -hmm. And I was saying about like, we were, we're you, you were, you were asking me, do you think this is terrorism or this, do you think this is an accident? And I said to you, I specifically remember, don't remember if this was on the air or behind the scenes, but I said, I don't know if it's terrorism or not, but I do know that you know, in Israel, when there's a terror attack, like you have to be careful because one bomb goes off like at a bus station or whatever, all the ambulance and police come and then a second one comes off. And then mm -hmm. that's when the second plane hit. And I immediately became like the Middle East expert of, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, you know, right. <laughs> Wisconsin, you, know. <laughs> you were uh, absolutely. And it, I feel bad because I remember. So the and, next and the day hit, and I remember everybody yeah. thought, it's coming to the Capitol building. That's next. Like as mm -hmm. if Madison is number two after New York, like New right. York and, and Madison, right? So right. <laughs> but it was this kind of general later on, you look back on it and talking just to people around the country, like everybody thought it was going to hit their, their school, their Capitol building, their uh, city hall, every city, every person in every city thought there was going to be a plane coming into their kind of Capitol building next. Mm. It was kind of this uh, really weird, strange, uh, totally understandable feeling across the country. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was frightening. I mean, I just remember watching news day on end, um, or for days. I mean, it was weeks at a at a time before I actually was able to break away from watching news or being on the air and talking about it. Um, which is the basically the life I lived there for for a few weeks after the whole thing happened. I feel really bad about an incident that happened the next day. So we used to have like a show that was on. So we would do our like news broadcast, and then I think there was i don't know if there was a shopping show in between or something like that um that that i would end up hosting and then we had like a 30 minute news format kind of show where we talked about local stuff and i think it was you and maria segura on the show <laughs> and i would run the board is that right yeah still friends with okay. her on facebook yeah yeah, I am too. And, and I love her and, you know, congratulations to her. I think she's out in Colorado and married and kids and doing the whole thing and, yeah. um, you know, uh, a beautiful girl and all of that kind of stuff. And Maria was in the studio with me. And I think you, you had to be then for this one, you were in Watertown. She was in Beaverdam and I was operating the board and she was on the same microphone then that you were on the day before. And for whatever reason, there was a couple minutes left in the show. And all you had to do was like stretch. And now to me, doing some stretch or fill in time on a show like this, the day after a terrorist attack like that, I would have one million and one things to talk about. Like there is, there's no way that I wouldn't have information to talk about. And I looked at her and it was her turn to talk and she froze and she just sat there. She wasn't used to having this extra time to fill. And she just kind of froze. And I'm 
you know, in front of her and I'm not on the show. This wasn't my show. So I don't open up my mic and I'm trying to get her to talk. I'm like, Hey, we got time here. Like I'm pointing at my watch and I'm like, you know, doing the hand motion, like, come on, Maria, come on, Maria and talk. And she just sat there and froze. And so then the show ended. And I remember saying, I'm like, as soon as the show ended, and it was awful. I feel so bad. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you? Like, why didn't you talk? And she's like, she goes, well, I had nothing to talk about. And I'm like, nothing to talk about. <laughs> I said, Maria, like, it's like the biggest terrorist attack in the history of our country. You have nothing to talk about. I'm like, you, you should have a lot of things to talk. I remember. And I was like waving my hands and doing all this kind of stuff. And then she just started crying. I was not like, there for this. I was Oh not. no, no. And I'm like I am the biggest jackass asshole, you know, like <laughs> that has ever lived, you know, no, doing this, this to her. Let this be a lesson that broadcasting is hard and when you mm-hmm. I mean, she was she was pretty new, you know. So when mm-hmm. you're like a new broadcaster, it's it's not easy. So It's not. I, and I, um, but I wasn't there that day, so I can't speak on that. Yeah, and that's and, and I, I felt really bad about it. I apologized lots and lots, and I think she's forgiven me over the years, and at least I hope that she has. But um, you know, and it we, was it was an emotional time though, too. I mean, emotional. We, we talk about like we go back to the day of, and like yeah, please. When the when the twin towers fell, do you remember? Mm-hmm. So wait, can I just tell you the night before I was covering some uh, like meeting city counts not, I don't know uh, school board I think something and I remember it was Monday night I was like yeah t- tomorrow's Tuesday like whatever no like Tuesday in September like I'll cover this story it went really really late I'll just come in early I'll edit the story and I'll I'll just go home early mm-hmm. well I ended up getting like just very little sleep that night and you know I was in that that's one of the reasons I was in the studio with you that day Okay. And then to cover the the city council and then to file it and everything, I was like, I'll just go in there and um, ended up we had to go wall to wall with like there was no normal programming that day, and so we just had to go with whatever we had. It would be like, and I just remember it being like we had to talk about what we saw, explain what was happening, recap it, and then you were in the studio. I would cut out and go do interviews and then pull interviews and recap like we were talking to you know the mayor and mm-hmm. you know uh, all the community people about what's going on and what are they doing and everyone was getting sent home that day and everybody was leaving work and we we're talking to people about that and we're just like really keeping people up to date as far as what was going on i just remember nonstop going back and forth um and then sharing tape with uh Jennifer Brown and uh, Jennifer, well, she's Brown now, Waltersdorf, she was then. And who was the other guy that she worked with? Yeah, Gosh. I think she was going by, by by the name of Jen Walters at the time. I forget like her, her on-air Walter, name. Right. But, but there yeah. was another guy that like they were a team and we were a team on the other side. Ugh, gosh. But we yeah, were like I sharing our I remember who it was, yeah. Yeah, so so guy, Mike Thronson, even even like the uh, sports guy um, that that we have, and he was fairly new at broadcasting. He was getting involved with all of this. I mean, it was it was all hands on deck, and I mm-hmm. I kind of remember too, um, you know, even even with with you and like um, you know talking about this now. I remember going to our boss at the time, saying, "Listen, whatever you need on any time at any station, I'm ready to go on. I'll talk about it. You know, we'll we'll handle it with with the reverence that it deserves, and you know, let's let's." bring as much of this I, I, I felt like responsible at that point as, as a broadcaster well, you, are, you are because people yeah. listen to us to find out what's going on and at that point you know you throw your format out the window and you just 
tell people what needs to happen. This happens with any big giant news event. And at the time, this was like, you know, every and these happen every last several years. There's like a big news event um, more recently than ever before. But, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, 9-11 was like one of those days you just throw that format out the window and get people the information that they need because they really thought, I mean, everybody kind of thought they were going to get attacked next and you got to keep them safe and you got to tell them what's going on and what's happening. And then the twin towers fell. Mm -hmm. And And watch it happen. It's one of the most shocking things I've ever seen. You know, I mean, it, it just like leaves a scar on you. That's not going to go away. And, and, and like I said, I remember Cause even the other station that I worked for that was in the group, we were a sports talk station and we had Howard Stern on in the morning and then my show would follow Howard. So we were pretty like crazy. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, we were ever reverent to the news at all. We were nutty sports guys who sometimes would have strippers in the studio because they would, they sponsored our show. But I remember thinking I'm going on the air now and even on that station. And my job is to inform and to, to try and keep calm. Like, you know, it, it's not about me waving my arms around and getting nuts. At this point, it's about being a real pro and making sure that everybody just has the information straight and that we're keeping everybody calm. That's that's all I thought. Like, every time I open up the mic, like, Rich, yeah. you got a job to do and, and do it that way. And I think you probably felt the same, didn't you? Yeah, like, what's going on? Let's figure out what's happening. Yep. This is insane, you know, mm-hmm. especially from, like, I'm an East Coaster, you know, this is like, I know the New York skyline, you know, this is uh yeah. this is a, it's now no longer there. The twin towers are no longer there. Like I think at some point, some, anybody from the East coast has been to the twin towers with their parents or whatever, taking a picture, you know, been there. And um, like, this is, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. exist anymore. <laughs> the country has been attacked by terrorists and, you know, that really was a day that changed the country. Everything. Absolutely. Changed. It was because yeah. of that, that, you know, the TSA was created and you can't bring water on the plane and you got to take off your shoes. And, um, yeah, I mean, I remember there, there was a lot like there's it stuff got deep after that. You know, there was a lot of, uh, stuff that happened in the country after that. Um, there was also the coming together, but there was also this like underlying racism that was there and kind of boiling to the surface. But then there was also like, never forget. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff that came out of that. Day. There was, I mean, I, you know, I, I felt, you know, for, for a while there afterwards, I mean, there was like, like you said, this coming together and it was kind of interesting that an event could bring us together. And I don't think that people nowadays, especially if you're a millennial can understand that there was actually something that kind of united us all. I have to say, like, let's not be, re- let's not have revisionist history here. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of coming together, but there was also a lot of like anti-Arab racism. And right. And this, and, and this happened in, in, in the ensuing days and weeks. It, it, it did. And, and I'm, I'm talking of, about like, like, yeah, people mistaking like, you know, like headgear from like sheiks for like, like not knowing, like there was a lot of ignorance that came out of that also. So yeah, I think someone actually, attempt, uh, yeah, like uh, made an attack on a Sikh temple in Milwaukee, not too yeah. far um, from where we were. And, you like, know, the, let's the not Sikhs. That stuff. So as yeah. much as people no. talk about like, hey, we all came together, like that ran parallel with a lot of stark 
unabashed well, that's, racism. That, that's always kind of the, the lunacy and idiocy of um, people at times, too. When they get fearful, when they get afraid, will do a lot of stupid, hateful things. And you don't have to go that far in, in our history, even as a country. If you think back to World War II, and now you're you know putting Japanese people in internment camps, and right. uh, there were people that were actually going out and you know uh, attacking Germans and killing Germans uh, in, in this say, country. Like, there, there was a lot of coming together, but like, let's not mm-hmm. forget that there was a lot of bad stuff that happened. Yeah, that there is there well. there is with, with all of that kind of stuff, and I just think that's that's fear and panic, and that was one of those things that again I remember when I was on there, and I was in my twenties. I'm a young man. You don't have like that vision of the world yet and and your place in it but i just really thought okay keep the calm keep everybody you know uh, kind of peaceful as, as we were going along you know looking back on those days there were some talented people that uh, came out of that you mentioned jen walters who ended up um out in new york and doing her thing um and you the, the network and i love yeah. her one of my best friends Absolutely. You guys formed a really good friendship out of it. And you in Philadelphia, and you've been there for how long now, Hadass? 20 years. Wow. Yeah. So I'm saying, I mean, it was like right afterwards. Like you talked about how this, the the station didn't stay together all that long. Uh, But when when we were together, at least, you know, then you went off and, I mean, did some some really amazing things. Talk about your time in Philly uh, because you you left there. Um, You were still, I mean, a single woman at the time. You went (laughs) out, you're trying to to, to claw your way through the uh, radio business, which, by the way, can be very hard to do. And, And you've stuck in one of the major markets in the United States for a long, long time doing your thing. So so tell us your Philly story. Oh, you're so sweet. So I moved to Philly in 2002, um, basically a year after that attack. It was like, yeah, September 2002. I, I worked at KYW News, work at KYW News Radio in Philly. Um, and I was part-time for about three years and then they gave me a full-time reporting position. And that has been like my dream job. It's been great. Like I cover everything everywhere. I've covered, you know, the DNCs and I've covered the Democratic National Convention in Denver in 2008. And then back when it was in in Philly, we all we all participated in that because that was local. Um, It's just been, you know. It's been a wild ride. I've covered everything like floods and presidents and celebrities and just like regular everyday people. The Phillies win in the World Series. The Eagles win in the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, yeah, Phillies got some good. (laughs) Right. You're a sports guy. So you remember all that? Oh my gosh. Some of this, I should pull up some of my sound from that. Like Philly fans, you want to do stories about, you know, fans. Like you, I don't know if you know, Philly fans are like the craziest fans. They're tough. Yes, they are. They they yeah. have booed Santa Claus. Uh, yes. They throw Throws batteries snowball. at people. Yeah, yeah they. <laughs> but like they're, I remember covering, I remember covering the um, 2008 Phillies win, um, championship win, and like I remember being down on Broad Street, and I remember like broadcasting, like people are standing on the cars while the cars are moving. They are, you know, and also the. You know, uh, you, I'm sure you heard the story in Philly with the Eagles championship where they didn't want the fans to climb the poles. So they mm-hmm. greased them. Did you hear yep, about this? I did. I did hear about that. Yep. But South Philadelphia <laughs> has a grease pole festival. Like that's not going to stop <laughs> Philadelphians from climbing the walls. And then there's like videos on Twitter. There were videos where they like climbed them and then fell into the crowd drunk. Like whatever. They don't care. Nothing can, nothing can keep them down. That's right. That's but right. Anyway, so. Yeah, no, it, what's really cool is that um, 
Jennifer works for the uh, the radio network, the CBS radio network in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, when f- she first moved in there, like we would, I work on Saturdays and still do. And she would always uh, like we would, and she worked on Saturdays at the time. She would text me back and forth, like what you got going on. And there are many times that I, I filed for her and for the network and still hmm. do, but like we went back and forth and, um, and it was great. So that, you know, if you file for the network, they play your stories nationally. And mm-hmm. so Philly had a, a bunch of, I mean, through the years, many, many national stories and, um, a lot of news happens on the weekends and she'd be like, Hey, do you have anything on this? Do you have anything on this? And I'd file for her and it would play, uh, nationally. And sometimes like my old station in Princeton, Illinois, they were like, Oh my gosh, we heard you out here in like rural Princeton. And, uh, I don't know if you guys pick up, uh, picked up CBS in Wisconsin, but, mm-hmm. um, that was, that was awesome. That was really, that was really like, felt good to be with an old colleague and, you know. Yeah, no, and, and every once in a while, I always thought it was amazing when I would hear one of your stories, and I'm like, this is so cool. I mean, you know, like, good for her. Um, you know, this is so exciting, you know, to see someone come from our little station that we were having, you know, going in Watertown, and now, you know, she's being picked up uh, nationally, because for a while, I had I'd gotten out of broadcasting and uh, had stepped away for a while and uh, was just strictly in the restaurant business, but I always missed it and always followed it, always wanted to get back into it. Um, and so now I'm happy that I've been able to do that and we've been able to reconnect. You know, you actually just went on a very interesting trip uh, for me. So you talked about being in the Israeli army. You just got back from Israel. I, I was watching like uh, a lot of the stuff on Facebook that you were posting <laughs> and, and what have you. And did you know Israel right now is considered the top vegan friendly country in the world. And I know that there's a lot of European countries that have been pushing vegan and the Brits are kind of way ahead of the curve than we are as far as veganism and plant-based eating. Uh, Did you see any evidence of it over there when you were over in Israel or is it more of a grassroots kind of a movement as far as veganism in Israel? I mean, that's a big part of Israel. Israel is kosher. So well, there's a, I mean, that kosher is like part of being Jewish. I mean, not all the restaurants are kosher nowadays, but like there are kosher restaurants everywhere. And in the kosher means Jewishary, Jewish dietary laws, you can't mix mi- meat and milk. And so uh, you have to have a lot of like parv, which means it's not meat or milk and, you know, vegetarian options. I mean, falafel is option, trina hummus, like all the big foods that you i mean salads israel is the number one cons, uh, the country that consumes the most of all the countries in the world fruits and vegetables so i'm not hmm. surprised at all yeah I mean, you eat salad it, for breakfast. Huge. if you go to a hotel in israel the breakfasts and the dinners are amazing and they have a salad bar for breakfast excellent because that's what people eat that's like their that's their big i mean people eat salad like you eat cucumbers and tomatoes all the time i even that's what I give to my kids, like an egg, chopped cucumbers, chopped tomatoes, a little bit of whipped cottage cheese. Like that's breakfast. Right. You know, you even mentioned, too, before we started recording here, Philly's got a big vegan push and a, uh, uh, I, I guess, I don't know, a culture in it uh, as well. If you could tell us a little bit about veganism in Philly. Well, I have a podcast I've been doing for 20 years once a week um, as part of what I do here at KYW News Radio. It's called What's Cooking on KYW News Radio. And um, as over the 20 years that I've been covering food, um, 
veganism has evolved. So Philadelphia is a really big, um, uh, like food city. Cheesesteak town. See, everybody thinks right away cheesesteaks, right? You know, like an Israeli restaurant in 20, I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019. Uh, Zahav is a big Israeli restaurant and they won uh, the James Beard Award for best restaurant in the country. So, um, yeah. And and that's a, that's, you know, good shout out to Michael Solomonoff. Like good for him. He's great. (laughs) And, you know, representing Israelis all around the world. Um, and uh, I think what's happened is for a long time, people thought, oh, like veganism, let's put like a Boca burger on there on the menu just to right. like satisfy right. friends. But that doesn't cut it anymore. Like you mm-hmm. have to have some really good vegan options because and, and it, it's got to be gourmet. And we also have um, we had, uh, you know, vegetarian chefs who had like, you know, V Street and Veg. They're very highly acclaimed uh, chefs that uh, restaurants that don't deal with meat. They're vegetarian restaurants that have been like recognized by the James Beard Awards. And um, like restaurants have been picking up on this. Like this is not enough. Like you can't just have a token, you know, one item for the vegan friends so that the group can go there. Like everybody like wants to uh like have good food. Uh, there's a place called Charlie is a sinner and they have these just like their, their cocktails are like their V it's a vegan restaurant with vegan cocktails with fresh juices. It's like amazing. But, um, yeah, like vegan, uh, foods as a meal are, you know, as a, not just a meal, but like as, you know, gourmet fare is like in every restaurant. Now you can find something that's like elevated, that more like better <laughs> in so come to philly and visit i'll take you on a food tour you'll check it absolutely. out absolutely i love it we're gonna have to check out that place you told me about the vegan center in old city yeah yeah, yeah tell me a little a, bit about that i just did a story on the uh they just did, they're, they're an offshoot of kind of the main center in jersey so there's one in philly um and it's located in old city which is a neighborhood that um the neighborhood that has the liberty bell and independence mall and Independence Hall and the National Constitution Center, and they set up a little hub. And uh, veganism actually started in Philadelphia. So the person that runs it is always trying to get the like colonial tour guides to incorporate that into their tours. And they have their own vegan tours, but it's a place where like locals and tourists can come to get more information because you might like come and visit and maybe you don't eat cheesesteaks and you don't know where to go. So they give like information, they have books, they have uh, chefs from around the area will come and kind of make snack foods and they they sell that like vegan foods um, in their food cases. And um, they'll tell you like, who's got the best, whatever, you know, places Mm. to eat. So it's like an information hub with, you know, a place you can buy food. They have a giant um, teddy bear cow right in the middle of the store. It's uh, like life size. It's very interesting. Very cute. I have done vegan versions of cheesesteak sandwiches and euros and stuff like that. And I'll, I'll make Satan from scratch and then, uh, you know, the cheese sauce and all, all that kind of stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll make, uh, you know, vegan tzatziki sauce. I, I, I go nuts. I love cooking. And, and I love that you're talking about too, you know, chefs that are trying to elevate it as well, because it's really a great time to be a vegan. I mean, you're, you're not strapped for options like you used to be back in the day. Um, there's really, tons and tons of things to eat so it's, it's kind of that, an like exciting the wor- time the world is kind of coming to terms with the fact that like 
climate change is real, mm-hmm. you know, environmentalism is important. And I think that's been part of the push as well. Yeah, there's a guy I think you, that you would really like. His name is Glenn Merzer. He's on our show um, all the time. Just sent me this uh, book of his, which is fascinating, uh, talking about food is climate and the actual impact of industrial agriculture on climate and, and climate change and um, really kind of eye-opening stuff. And now he comes on once a week and joins us, does a little rant. Uh, and I'm going to be starting up a podcast with Glenn then as well. And uh, really good stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of stuff tied into that. Speaking of you and doing the news, though, because I, I want to delve into this and you in Philadelphia and, and being a news reporter, because I, I believe that right now we're at a time in our country's history where things are very divisive. Um, so I could even say things like, hey, you know, I became a vegan and people can take that politically. They think that all of a sudden you align yourself one way politically because, you know, if you're Republican, you're a red eat meter and you shoot guns. And if you're a Democrat, you can be a vegan and um, not do those kind of things. So um, you are on the cusp of this all the time. You have to. And and even as a reporter, I think you got to kind of walk a thin line. Um, But have you ever known a more divisive time in your 20 years out in Philadelphia? And then I got a follow up to that after you answer that question. No, I have not known a more divisive time. Okay. So we're, 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 on, we're on, we are definitely on, yeah. on, on the same page with that. Now, as a journalist, Okay. Now I remember the first thing when I went to college, this was way back in 1991. And my, I had a journalism, like just like an overview kind of class. It was like an introduction to journalism. And one thing that he said is, and this was in 1991. So this over 30 years ago is you are under no obligation as a reporter, not to, to, you're under no obligation to be right down the middle. You don't have to tell both sides of the stories. The obligation falls on the viewer or the listener or the consumer of media to understand that the reporter is a slanted story giver just because they're a person. They're always going to have, they're, they're going to see the story through their eyes no matter what. And I've always thought like, okay, if I'm going into journalism, I got a responsibility to tell both sides, like the, the, who, how, when, what, all, all, all that kind of stuff, give all of that stuff and get out of it without trying to give an opinion. So in your journalism and, and, and and what you guys try to do, or even you, do, do you find yourself like giving stories that you believe are slanted or does it not matter? Do you leave it up to the consumer to decide whether or not your story's coming from the left or coming from the right or coming from the middle? Um, if you could, a little overview on journalism yeah. today because I'm always fascinated. I don't get a chance to talk to a lot of reporters <laughs> that way. So uh, I'm very interested in, in, in what you think about that. Well, I think that not all stories are both sides. I mean, what are we talking about? Are we talking about, is the earth flat? Did the Holocaust right. happen? <laughs> like, I mean, can I say BS? Like, I'll just say, you know, it, you some, say of these it. Things, some of these things are bullshit. Like yep. some of these things do not deserve like a both sides, like wh- with the people that are saying bo- both sides of the Holocaust. What is the other side of the Holocaust? The other side is a Holocaust denier, which is the whole point is to confuse people and to put it down in history, to put it on social media so that when you look back and you're like, wow, that was atrocious. How did people do that? Then you question like, was it really that bad? Flat earthers, gravity, the environment, like some things do not have 
of both sides. That's bullshit, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm actually, um, you know, kind of, kind of glad you said that, but it, it's, it's also kind of weird how they're, how they're teaching kids today. So now my daughter's going into high school and I remember even in junior high school. So this would be, I believe it was eighth grade that they, they were showing us videos of, um, refugees when they liberated the, um, the, the concentration camps in, in Europe. And, you know, you saw these pictures, not only of how emaciated everybody was, but then they would show like these mass graves. Like they actually, and, you know, when, when we were being educated, they didn't hold back on, on this kind of stuff nowadays. They do now. Um, and in you know, Wisconsin be- do that. This, this is very interesting to me. Yeah. It's also regional. Um, I know that like, I mean, look, I grew up in a, I had a Jewish education. They didn't hold back on me either. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it, and I do Holocaust stories when anniversaries come around. And it I've, always- I've been to Auschwitz, which by the way, I, I mean, I, I don't recommend, I'm, I'm never going to go back there because I, I don't have to, because what I, I took out of there, people should go and see, uh, they what should, happens. they should go. I won't go back. Um, it, because it, it was bone chilling. Like I, I, I was crying. I, I couldn't help it. It was so friggin' emotional to me. Auschwitz, I mean, is such a, a horrible place. You could feel the actual death that well, happened listen, there for people that know history you have to know like it didn't start with the death camps rich which right. is why it, yeah. it is so crucial to understand history it starts with propaganda mm-hmm. and it with does. making a group of people not seem not feel human like the jews were called roaches um uh, immigrant mexicans are being called other things when you other people when you make Mm -hmm. them as others that's where it begins and it is so 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 like dangerous that's why this divisiveness this us versus them mentality Mm -hmm. is so dangerous and it can be a real slippery slope into fascism which is why we're at like this critical point and if you don't know history then that's very very dangerous and i have to say like i i think it's also very dangerous this banning books like the last time i Mm -hmm. heard that was in the 1930s and 1940s right before the holocaust banning books because a an an uneducated population is the most is the easiest population to control absolutely you know and i'm also with you know i i'm not big into cancel culture i don't like being uh seeing people getting taken off so even we we were discussing can we we like go back and talk about this here cancel culture okay so so here, here here here's what i mean by it so um we were talking about Andrew Tate the, the the other day. Okay, now Andrew Tate to me says reprehensible things, and I I but it doesn't matter to me. I don't care what platform he's on, and I don't care that he says that. It's really simple for me to say I don't like this, and so I'm not going to watch it. Um, it's kind of the same thing to me when you hear like really offensive lyrics in rap music, which I'll also say to myself, I don't like how they're talking about women right now. Like, like the stuff that they're calling women and saying about women is reprehensible to me. So I'm not going to support this and listen to rap music. So you, you kind of get like, like both sides to me, it's more of the principle that is, yeah, you, you, you could say whatever the hell you want. And then it's up to us to say, well, I'm not going to consume this in any way, shape or form because I'm not an idiot. Um, or I'm not, I'm not hate filled well, or I'm I, not I'd like to change cancel culture with like, um, uh, accountability culture or like, you know, like, you know, you get what you put out there. If people don't mm-hmm. want to buy your stuff or whatever, because you're racist, sexist, hateful, then so be it now. Then good. Yeah. I, I think right, that's good. That, 
Right. That that's that's called accountability. It's not yep. called cancel culture. Now yep. there is something like when you are putting other people in danger by telling them to do things that are unlawful or illegal, like telling them to storm the Capitol and cause an insurrection, for example, and then you get taken off of Twitter. That is, uh, I think, uh, good. Because but so, so here's here, because, here's always because, my because, yeah. Well, no, because there I know uh, there's a, a free speech, but you can't. Uh, free speech also means that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater and cause. I'm, people I'm not even going to go theater. down the whole, the whole free speech thing. That's that. That's not even my argument. So Andrew Tate ha- had built up. It, so he had over a billion watches of his videos between TikTok and YouTube. He's I been on. Him. I'm so like uncool. Yeah. So, anyways, he—I mean—he's—he's he's morally reprehensible. I mean, he's—he's he, a bit of an idiot. But what he's done is he—he he exaggerates things and says says these horrible things for effect to get people to watch him and look at him and stuff like that. So he's basically the new shock jocks, and there there aren't a lot of a lot lot of shock is jocks he out like there. Alex Jones because he's getting no uh, no no dude. no conspiracy theories, but he would say things like you know, well, women belong in the kitchen, and that's where I put my women. And while he's smoking a cigar, and he's got like a a, a car behind him, and I look at that and I, I say to myself, I mean, obviously the guy's you know he's just doing it for show. This is stupid, all right. And but you don't need, to, in my opinion, to take him off this platform, or the need should have been to never allow it. It's not like it was overnight and he got a billion views. The guy's been putting out videos for half a dozen years. <laughs> so where were your standards six years ago? And now all of a sudden your standards are, well, 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 we're going to have to take you off for, for standards. He's been saying the same crap for six years. Where were now, your standards then? Are little kids watching him? I have no idea. I mean, I don't. I don't know how parents police their children and and what they allow, you know. And and even for us, with with as much like controls that we put on our our kids viewing and stuff like that, do they probably know a way around it? I mean, my my son's twenty two now. I don't care what the hell he watches. My my daughter's fourteen. I do care what the heck she watches. Um, but is she probably going to know a way around it? Um, or are her friends going to be able to send her a link maybe that she could watch when she's out of the house? Is she going to be able to watch it in someone else's house? Yeah, she probably is. We need to put it into context, what she's hearing. And I kind of like it because even today, you know, she was telling me about, you know, a story at school and, you know, this one person was saying something that to her she found really stupid, but these other kids were, were laughing at. So it was actually, um, like a, 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 an African-American kid who was making like racist jokes and everybody thought it was funny. And my, my daughter just got kind of rolled her eyes. She goes, dad, I, I just kind of walked away. I didn't want to be part of it. It felt wrong. And I'm like, good for you. I, I like that you yeah. have like this feeling and I'm glad, you know, that, that we've been able to hopefully teach you some of this stuff. Like you, you didn't have to make a scene. You didn't have to go tell a teacher. You didn't have to do anything. just walk away. If nobody pays attention to this kid, then he's eventually going to stop. Um, and so anyways, I, you know, I, I look at that and, and talk about, about, about those kind of things. Cause I, I would rather stand on principle and say, listen, I don't, I don't, I'm not even talking free speech because I don't think free speech applies here. Free speech doesn't apply to YouTube or TikTok because those are private entities. And if they have standards that they have, great, use those standards and put them in place from day one of somebody putting a video out. Don't wait six years and let this person get six billion friggin' views or whatever the heck well, he ends up I'll getting. And then, and then say, we're drawing a line here because we have standards. No, you don't. 
your, your standards were fine for you making money while people were watching his video. And now all of a sudden he said something that you don't like. And now, now you're going to issue that because that it, it's a lie. It's, it's not a standard then. Let's go back to education because that's yes. really where it comes back to. I mean, I think that, um, like, I don't know who this guy is, but like, there's probably a thousand Tate guys all over the place mm-hmm. that I don't know. I think the way to combat that is to teach people, um, first of all, you know, and, and there's all, there's all kinds of issues with like, you know, photoshopped memes and like fake pictures and mm-hmm. like educating kids. Like, how do you find out what's real? What's fake? Uh, when do you know something is real or not? I mean, that we we have a news studies program. We talk to the kids about this. I just attended myself a seminar where this was one of the topics of like, and journalists will even uh, fall into that. Like you got to remind yourself, how do you know, what do you look for when you look to see if something has, has merit um, or clout? Like aside from like being, being a publication that you recognize, like some of these crappy publications might be name recognizable. It doesn't mean that they're accurate. Um, so there are certain things that you look for, and I can talk about that if you want, but like it goes with education, being an educated consumer and mm-hmm. like having, you know, talking about it in your house, ta- you know, having conversations with your kids about like everything, being open, um, and like, yeah, yeah, I always, I, I, I try to educate people even on this show. So there's, um, you, you, every Let's once in a while, they go through some of the, some of the important things you want to check and make sure there's a date on the article. Yeah. You want to make yeah. sure there's a byline on the article. Mm-hmm. You can go and Google that person's name. Um, if, the, if uh, you want to make sure that there are sources, like, and make sure it's not an opinion. So everything needs to be cited. So it has to come from somewhere, from either an organization or a person's quote. You, it doesn't just come from your head or your opinion. Uh, sometimes uh, with these fake articles, they will just they won't cite a uh, a person. Somebody has somebody wrote that. It's not just like in general. It's and then yeah, Google that person's name. Don't retweet old articles because news changes. Go and see. Like if even if it does have a date and an, and a name and things are cited, go and see what kinds of read the other person's the person's stuff. How about pictures? Pictures on social media. Okay, well, don't okay, this is this is maybe controversial, but don't retweet something unless you know for sure who took that picture. Because stuff gets photoshopped all the time, even if it's from like a, a legit you think is a legit source. Um, uh, videos can be retweeted. There was stories about like uh, videos from quote unquote the war in Ukraine, where ended up being like a um, a video game, and mm. it was a real place from the video game, but like it was fake because it it wasn't real. So really, unless you know for a fact who took that picture, don't give it legs right because yeah irresponsible well we we in our world so in in the vegan world as we continue to gain traction and you see more and more vegan products and whether it is you know like even the the processed meats out there so like uh impossible meats or beyond meats and stuff like that there is this company called Berman and Company. They are a PR firm. They also hide under a name called the Center for Consumer Freedom. And they will put these stories out that will end up on your Facebook feed and stuff like that that says, oh, you know, nobody's buying vegan meats anymore. It's crashing. Or it's found out that, you know, vegetables don't have enough protein for you to sustain. Well, it turns out that the company behind this is PR firm Berman and Company. Also is the same company that the tobacco industry hired way back in the late 50s and early 
late 60s. And again, not to tout that smoking was good for you, but just to put enough information out there to make you doubt. And so what they would do is even say, you know, back in the 60s, they would talk about secondhand smoke and secondhand smoke. Well, that's it's not as bad for you as what was originally thought. Or that's if you smoke low-tar cigarettes, right? Who's funding um, these uh, studies? You guys uh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Tobacco company. Look at that. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I actually, our, our news person, Sarah Carlson, who was on the air for years in Madison and uh, does the news on our program, she was kind of heartbroken because, you know, she goes to the American Heart Association website and she believes in the American Heart Association. And she's someone who has uh, suffered with epilepsy and, um, and, and what have you throughout the years. And so she was heartbroken to see that on their website, I mean, they actually have recipes that have bacon in them or red meat and um, knowing full well that that stuff is bad for your heart and it's not good. And then the companies that are supporting the American Heart Association will be like, Craft or Mondelez, and I'm not I'm not exactly sure, uh, you know. But even even companies, you know, like Dannon, who's part of a bigger conglomerate or what have you, are actually supporting some of these companies. And now all of a sudden, it's like, well, what the heck are they actually putting out there? What is actually you know coming out and about? And so it, it's kind of mind blowing. I don't think everybody you know always has of, though, like the yeah, milk, go, in, you go. know, the history of the milk industry. Yeah, I, I do, and I, and and have cool. done some research. With the dairy yeah. industry and after yeah. the war, and they wanted to like, it's it's all World make, War II stuff. Well, they wanted yeah. to make money on you know this product that they, mm-hmm. they you know and I mean is it doesn't it make sense that there are soda machines in schools like right yeah it, you know that you know the saying right follow the money yeah absolutely so who's doing the report and who is what is the reason for some of these you know a lot of people I think don't have yeah meetings, so you know. Do they do, do they have time to vet all this out? You know, I think people, you know, too often say to themselves they don't have time in their busy lives to do this kind of stuff, well, and they'll just try and take like a trusted source or what they believe is a trusted source and run with it. And that's how a lot of that misinformation gets put into you know mainstream and and, and given well, to people, and then and then people will I, see I the misinformation. To, yeah, go ahead. People need to utilize their common sense, right? So yeah. asking some basic questions like, who does this benefit? Why are you telling me this? What do you want to get out of this? Like basic common sense questions um, are very helpful. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, I, and I think everybody should take a broadcasting class because an interviewing class because, uh, you know, y- you don't have to take things at face value, you know, confirmation Ask, like, bias is also very dangerous. And so watch out for that because people will try and find stories that just confirm what they already believe anyways. And they feel comfortable in that rather than seeking alternate sources or finding out the truth for themselves or like you said, which is always a good thing to do. Follow the money follow the money and you'll find out, you know, but basically why. where all the stuff comes from. Why? Yeah. Why is right? good? Why? What, who is benefiting from this? Right. Yeah. Why Absolutely. are they telling me this? Why, what, what did you get out of this? So Hadas, you mentioned the what's cooking podcast. Where else can people find you? If someone says now, I want to listen to some Hadas Kuznets reports. Where are they <laughs> looking for you? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Hadas Kuznets. I'll tweet out my stuff and I'll post links there. Um, if I remember to post the what's cooking stuff, I'll put it on my Instagram, which my uh, food Instagram, which is food in the 215. And so, okay. the, but even if I don't post on food in the 215 on Instagram, um, their link in bio will always take you to the most recent story. So mostly food in the 215 on Instagram and Hadas Kuznets on Twitter. Um, 
you talked about the both sides thing. It is yeah. important to get both sides. Like, I don't think I uh, got to that point. You have okay. to tell both sides, but not all stories are both side stories. Like yeah, if somebody is right. coming up with like junk and like, like science, you know, yeah. Do you believe in gravity? Well, uh, right. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Because it's, it's, it, we, gravity exists, you know? So I don't care yeah. if you don't believe in it, you know? Yeah. That's I, I, I've actually said that to people sometimes. I'm like, I, I don't care that you don't believe. It, whether or not you believe doesn't negate the fact that this is an actual scientific truth. So I, I don't know what, what, what you're trying to tell me or argue with me about. You know? Look, so. I mean, I, I'll cover a, um, like you go to cover a protest about whatever. And if there's like a whole bunch of people protesting on the other side, that deserves, 50 50 coverage if there's mm -hmm. like you know one dinky sign i can't spend 50 percent of my you know 45 seconds uh to this one person because that's not that's not really giving an accurate depiction of the story so you got yes, that right you, you want to kind of bring it up you definitely want to ask questions you definitely want to ask opposing questions you always want to make uh uh you know the, the, the saying in um in in journalism you want to uh comfort the afflicted and uh, cause discomfort to the people in power. Mm -hmm. Like you want to ask uncomfortable questions. That's why people do not like media. But the answer is not to kill the messenger. The answer is to ask why. Absolutely. And so we hope that a lot of people are doing that. And that's hopefully why they're turning into our broadcast. And then they're even thinking, okay, um, maybe this podcaster's got something here and his guests have something here. And maybe I could try a meatless Monday or something like that. So Hadas, we, we are setting the date one year from today, or would it be one year from yesterday or whatever? 9-11. Yeah. Yep. We're, we're back at it and we're doing this again, right? I guess I'll talk to you next year on text, right? on phone, <laughs> on podcast. Absolutely. It's been, it's been 21 years we've been doing this. It's amazing. I know. It is That's nuts. amazing. Uh, it, and it's I like, love that um, we were able to bring other people in and share it at least. And I got to yeah. realize that I remembered it wrong. I'm glad that I brought it up. I think you're just mixed. You mixed the memory because we did do a yep. lot of right and wrongs where I was in the other studio. I was in Watertown yep. and you were in Beaver Dam. But on that particular day, yeah, it was it was because of that that uh, board meeting. I came in early. I don't know why it was so weird. But I remember I was standing behind you and I remember Rick coming. Wow. Ah, crazy. <laughs> crazy. Just crazy. And I can't believe it's been so long, you know, it has. Um, yeah. This is wow. the time of the year also where like it's the uh, the biggest Jewish holidays are coming up. So uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. So I remember like that time also I was I was getting ready to go home and it was such a weird time to go back to the East Coast from the Midwest after 9-11. It was very, very strange, but all, anyway. all kind of surreal. I'm glad we were able to share this with everybody on the podcast today. Uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. Hadass, Thanks, it was Rich. fantastic seeing you and talking to you. And like I said, we'll do it again next year. Thank you. Pleasure being here. And we'll talk next year, Rich. Have a good year. 
All right, here at the Real Men Eat Plants podcast, we need your help, and so does Paul's party. Being a brand new podcast just trying to get its footing, we are asking that you help support our pod by going to our podcast page at realmeneplants.com slash podcast and click the support button. When you do, not only are you helping us get our feet on the ground, you are helping to support Paul's party, a 501.c charity that raises money to help kids with physical disabilities get equipment to have some fun in their lives. Two great causes, one easy support button. Again, please find us at realmeneatplants.com slash podcast or on Patreon when you type Real Men Eat Plants into the search bar. Thanks for your support and for helping Paul's party.